Hello everyone, welcome to Ask a Therapist. This is Nikita and Zam, and we are two psychotherapists here to answer your questions about love, life, and health. You know, in our private practice, Nikita and I see couples, individuals, and families. However, we're so passionate about this particular podcast because we're trying to reach a greater number of people at the same time. We want to demystify therapy. We want to open the door to therapy for you and introduce you to our tools and techniques that you can actually apply in your real life. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to today's episode of Ask a Therapist. This is your host, Nikita, today here with my top six lessons that I have learned as a couples therapist. So if you weren't aware, in my practice as a psychotherapist, I work with individuals, I work with families, and I also work with couples, and I have been working with couples for quite some time for couples counseling, marriage counseling. Uh, couples don't have to be married. I have a lot of couples in my practice that are simply dating or that are engaged to be married. So today I want to talk to you about some of the lessons that I've learned about love and relationships over the course of my time as a couples therapist. And I thought this would be a perfect wrap up for the month of February, which has been so focused on love and relationships. So if you'd like to listen more to the lessons that I've learned as a couples therapist, just keep listening. In case you're wondering about what is it that a couples therapist does, in individual therapy, the presenting problem or the concern that the client is bringing in is the concern that we work with. In couples therapy, when couples will come in that are either high in conflict or they're just not feeling very connected to each other, feeling very withdrawn from each other, couples can, you know, tend to point fingers at one another and say that, oh, well, I want you to change my partner or I want my partner to stop doing this or doing that. And couples therapy is a little bit different because what we do here we identify that it's not either of the partners that is the problem, quote unquote. It's the relationship and the lack of whether it is communication or intimacy or whatever issues happening in the relationship, that is a problem. So the relationship is considered the client in couples therapy. Couples therapy is also a little bit more directive. So if you have been an individual therapy before and you're considering couples therapy, couples therapy is a lot more directive just because there's a lot more people in the room and the therapist's whole job is to get you to see the ways that you are regularly interacting with one another and how you're falling into these negative patterns, negative cycles, or what we like to call in couples therapy a negative dance of communication. So what have I learned as a couples therapist. Well, the six biggest lessons that I've learned are that it's important to not take your partner for granted. It's really important to be self-aware in your relationship. It's really vital to recognize your attachment patterns. It's important to be able to resolve each conflict and to be able to do that early on. It's also, I think something that I've learned is that closeness is very different from codependency. And lastly, the biggest lesson that I've learned is that love is not enough. So let's go through these one by one. So number one, do not take your partner for granted. And obviously this sounds very common sense. This sounds like this is something that we've all heard before, right? Do not take your partner for granted or really do not take any people in your life for granted. This is very common sense. However, this is much, much easier said than done. 
we tend to fall in patterns in relationships once we've been with our partner for some time and which is natural right people have a way of acting and behaving in certain situations and we learn to predict how they're going to be and so because we learn to predict their behavior we learn to form these expectations what happens with that is we start to take our partner for granted without even being able to catch ourselves in it without being aware of it so eventually we stop connecting and checking in with each other because we just have that baseline expectation that my partner is going to be able to do this or do that or perform in this way or that way something that i've seen in practice is that healthy couples still find a way to reconnect and spend time discussing about what has been going well in their relationship and what hasn't so think of this like a like a team meeting that you have at work so the idea here is to find some time once a month to reconnect just that time with yourself no family members no kids no pets no one else and to be able to discuss what is it that's happening well what is it that your partner is doing well in the relationship and what are just some things that have really stuck out to you as gaps things that might have changed between the two of you but you haven't voiced them yet and this ability to be open to be vulnerable non-judgmental and empathic with each other is what sets healthy couples apart from other couples who do not practice this because reconnection really it's more than a date night it's open communication if we've been with someone for some time what can end up happening is because we're so caught up in our lives we're our partners are so caught up in their lives we forget to check in with each other we forget to realize that just like us our partners also have different capacities any given day of the week or any given month or maybe there's some stressors coming up for them that is impacting their ability to be present in the relationship and because we started to take them for granted we have formed these expectations about their behavior we stop reaching out we stop reconnecting and we start assuming and so the ability to not take your partner for granted the ability to connect with each other frequently every month every few weeks is really one of the qualities that sets healthy couples apart from those that may be stuck in old patterns and disagreements and fights. I think this is important for me to mention that this is not a time for us to grade our partners or attack our partners. I think the important thing here is to be able to have a conversation around what is something that is going well and what is something that you are seeing is lacking in the relationship and asking your partner if they need more support in the coming days. It's important to be gentle but at the same time to be very clear with your needs. Expecting your partner to care for you without voicing your needs is just pure fantasy as is hoping for reconnection without communication. All right lesson number two. The second thing that I've learned as a couples therapist is that self-awareness is key to a harmonious relationship. So number of times I have heard in, in sessions, I want you to change or fix my partner or he or she needs to stop doing this or stop doing that. It's important to see how your partner's behavior is being influenced by your behavior. So something that I need to say that except in cases of power and control and, and abuse, it's important to be able to examine how your behavior, how you are acting in the relationship is influencing your partners. So self-awareness is key here. 
It's not uncommon for us to go about our days and life without observing what we're really thinking, feeling, and doing, right? I think we just fall into this monotonous routine, into this pattern, and it's common for partners to not just have lack of insight into their own behavior, but also their partners. So when we have this lack of self-awareness, we can create really inaccurate or um, distorted explanations for the way that our partners are behaving, the way that our partners are reacting. And this is really based on our own lack of self-awareness. So it's common for a person to think that, you know, their partner is ignoring them or doing something to punish them without any insight into why they're interpreting their actions to be that. I think especially when we've been with someone for a few years or even a few months and you have a really good connection, I think we forget that people change, people grow, and people are different given their capacity. And so we expect each other to perform at the same level all the time. Consciously or unconsciously, that is the expectation that most of us have. So without questioning our own thoughts or without being curious about the way that our partner is reacting, we start to maybe act defensively with our partner, we start to pick fight. And this lack of self-awareness can really keep partners stuck in these negative cycles, like these negative dances that I was talking about. And self-awareness actually even includes our body language, something that I really help my couples see in sessions is how not just their words, not just their verbal communication, but how are their facial expressions? What is their body language communicating to their partner? I, you know, very recently had a client who said to me in session that his partner's brows, eyebrows, furrowed eyebrows really just made him feel just so ashamed and just made him feel so worthless. And this was not something that his partner was verbally communicating to him. It was what he saw in her face and what triggered in him. And so self-awareness is also about how are you presenting yourself in front of your partner or doing these disagreements or doing these fights because communication is not just verbal. Lesson number three. Oh, and this is my favorite one. <laughs> it's recognizing your attachment patterns and this is absolutely vital. So without giving you too much here or sounding too academic, basically this idea of attachment is our ability to trust ourselves the world and other people. And attachment patterns, the way that we attach to our caregivers, is a style that is formed early on in our childhood. You can look it up. This is a really famous school of thought in psychology, and it's a theory from the 1960s. This is one of those groundbreaking psychology research of, of, of our time. And Basically, our attachment patterns develop, you know, as a result of our experiences with our caregivers as children. So as babies, as really, really young kids, because how our caregivers, our moms, our dads, our primary caregivers, how they behave with us really teaches us what we can expect of other people, what we can expect of ourselves and what we can expect of the world. This is really fascinating research and I recommend you look into it, but essentially there are four different types of attachment styles. The first one, which is really the ideal one, is um, called secure attachment. And a child who is securely attached is going to believe that they can trust 
that their caregiver is going to meet their needs. And how this happens is when the caregiver is quick, they're sensitive to the child's needs and they're consistent with getting the child's needs met. Second, we have avoidant attachment. So the children who are who fall under this or adults who fall under this type of attachment, um, they're a little emotionally distant. They can be not very explorative. They can be a little disengaged. And they can believe that their needs probably won't be met by a caregiver. So they're doubtful of their caregiver. And these translate into adulthood. So the caregiver in this situation was probably a little distant, was probably disengaged, was probably inconsistent as well. The third type of attachment style is called ambivalent attachment. Here the child is anxious, really anxious, really insecure, angry, very dysregulated emotionally, and have learned that they cannot rely on the caregiver to have their needs met. This is just something that the children learn. The caregiver in this situation is someone who was really inconsistent, sometimes really sensitive and attuned to the child, but sometimes very neglectful, so very hot and cold. This is the definition of a hot and cold parent or a hot and cold caregiver. And lastly, the fourth type of attachment is called disorganized attachment. And the child who experiences this type of attachment is a little depressed, angry, completely passive, not very responsive, and they learn that they just are severely confused and they have no strategy when it comes to having their needs met. And when I say needs met, I mean things like clothes, fooding, food, shelter, um, emotional connection, right? The caregiver in this situation was probably extremely erratic, frightened, or maybe a really, maybe really scary to the child, passive or intrusive so again that inconsistency but very hot and cold here so the relationship that we have with our caregiver in the early years of our lives forms these attachment styles and the theory basically says that we carry on these attachment styles from infancy or early childhood into adulthood and into adult relationships because that is what we have learned and that is how we have learned to communicate not to say that this is you know a death sentence by any means but usually we break out of these attachment patterns and attachment styles by being really cognizant of how we are used to relating to people that we love and care about what they teach us about us and what they teach us about what we can expect from the world and a lot of that change comes in therapy, whether that's individual or couples therapy. So when it comes to being in a relationship and your attachment style, basically this depends on what you know we have learned about us and others through the lens of our attachment style. And because of that, we can be a little bit less trusting, a little bit doubtful of our partners. And this doubt really affects your relationship with your partner and can even make you really fearful of opening up. So knowing about your attachment style is really key in cultivating that self-awareness and understanding how your attachment impacts your ability to communicate with your partner, how it impacts your position in fights, how it impacts your stance in fights. You know, are you a really defensive person in fights and disagreements or are you a very critical person and how you handle conflicts with your partner and within your partnership. 
if you're wanting to read up more about attachment and adult attachment, I would recommend you check out this book called Attached, The New Science of Adult Attachment. It's by... It's co-authored by Amir Levine and Rachel Heller and this is an excellent book and it talks about how to not just be aware of what your attachment style is but what are some things that you can do to start to break out of that and to change that attachment pattern. Alright, lesson number four. This is a really important one and this is called resolving each conflict and resolving each conflict early. So have you ever heard of the saying don't go to bed angry at each other don't go to bed angry at someone you love it's really cliche but there's a lot of truth to this healthy couples are able to call out a conflict they're able to name it when they are in a disagreement or in a fight and this is a skill that I teach my couples um, in session the ability to be able to recognize when you are emotionally flooded or your partner is emotionally flooded and being able to call it out. When I say emotionally flooded, I mean being completely overwhelmed by your emotions, feeling extremely anxious, irritated, angry, just feeling on and feeling on edge in those disagreements. We've all felt it. We've all felt that heat just rush to our face and we've all felt our fists curl just in that irritation and frustration and anger. And this is emotional flooding. This is when these, the intensity of these emotions completely takes over your nervous system. So you're not able to think logically in that moment because you're just so flooded with emotion. A skill that healthy couples have and a skill that I teach my couples in session is to be able to identify when you are flooded and to be able to call it. So by identifying it, you have stopped the normal process of your fight and disagreement, you've actually externalized it, and you've called it out. Healthy couples are also able to take time away from each other to soothe this emotional flooding. A research shows us that you need to take at least 20 minutes away from each other, and maximum is up to 24 hours. If you return to the disagreement after 24 hours, it's too late. Um, your initial reaction, your thoughts and beliefs around it have just dissolved and you may not get the resolution that you want. So the ideal window is anywhere between a couple hours to three, four hours. But really everyone is different. And when I say step away, I don't mean step away and storm out of the house and go for a walk or go for a drive where you were just absolutely ruminating and fuming about what your partner has said that's not going to be helpful this time that you need to step away whether that's just 20 minutes or half an hour is a time for you to soothe yourself not think about what your partner has said but to do something very active where your nervous system can soothe itself where the emotions the flooded emotions can soothe themselves this could include a cold shower this could include a mindfulness walk this could include um, a quick meditation, this could include some breathing, this could include going outside, um, walking your pet, right? Just some time away from each other. And there's a, a skill to practicing this as well. I always tell my partners, it's not conducive to the disagreement or to resolving this conflict if, you know, one partner says, well, I'm flooded and I'm leaving and they leave and they storm out. I think this needs to be done with a little bit more tact. So to be able to say to your partner, I'm sorry, I'm feeling really flooded right now. I'm feeling really overwhelmed. I would really appreciate it if we can take a little bit of a break, a little bit of a break and come back to this. So the ability to be able to ask for 
that break and it's also the responsibility of the other partner to honor it so this is what I tell my couples that both of you have the power to call this conflict to call this negative cycle that you get trapped in when you start to argue and the other partner has to respect it no question about that and while you're taking time away to soothe yourself your partner's probably feeling all sorts of anxieties all sorts of emotions so when you do come back to this disagreement with a cooler mind it's really important to thank your partner for allowing you that thank your partner for sitting with that i think that is excellent communication and when we're in a calmer place we're able to resolve conflicts better i think something that I hear a lot in my sessions and I think I have seen a lot of couples do is they will get angry and frustrated and take time away from each other and they won't talk about it for hours or days and then the conflict just dies down and they move on but by doing this repetitively over time resentment starts to build when I think we've all experienced this when we've had a fight with our partner and we've pulled out all the things from the past and said, well, five years ago, you did this or you said this. Because when we don't speak about it, we don't actively resolve it. It just builds up as resentment. I I personally don't think we can truly let go of a lot of things that come up in relationship. So the idea is that when you come back to the conflict and to the disagreement, you're both calmer, you're both cooler and you can communicate how you actually feel and how your partner's actions have had an impact on you instead of reacting from these defensive, angry places. This is a perfect time to be able to communicate your needs without becoming defensive, without becoming too overwhelming to your partner. And healthy couples are also able to see their partner's perspective and empathize with them and again this ability to have empathy for your partner only comes when we're no longer in that highly reactive emotional state lesson number five (laughs) closeness is different than codependency we can become codependent in relationships when there's an excessive reliance on your partner for approval for belonging for having that for validating your sense of identity and this is different from closeness because closeness is about being intimate with one another emotionally still being able to meet our own needs if we need to and also knowing that our partner is not going to be there every single time to meet our emotional needs the danger with codependency is that it creates this expectation that your partner will always be there to meet your needs. And so then people start to expect their partners to be everything and to be everyone for them. And when real intimacy is about being attuned to your partner and knowing when they can and cannot meet your needs. So for example, if you're returning home from work and you've had a really long day and you just need to sit and vent about your day, you are not sure if your partner is actually also had a bad day if they even have the capacity to listen to you so when we're not attuned to our partner's capacity we just start to dump things on them and then because they may be overwhelmed on uh, on their end they're not able to meet our needs they're not able to be reassuring they're not able to calm us down and then that just further escalates and we both leave feeling completely unsatisfied and disconnected from each other i encourage my couples in sessions to be able to ask their partner something along the lines of I've had a really rough day at work and I really need to talk this over and just vent do you think you have the capacity to be able to do this today 
And a question as simple as that, and you can reframe it however you want to. I think you're not taking your partner for granted, so you're not assuming that your partner is at 100% and it's ready. And it gives your partner the opportunity to check in with themselves. You know, am I exhausted? Do I have the ability to do this for my partner right now? This is a trickier skill to practice and a skill to learn because I think partners can fall into an argument about whose needs are more important and who's being listened to more and who's being listened to less. But I think if you're in couples therapy or if you're considering couples therapy, this can be a great skill that you can learn. And lastly, the sixth lesson that I have learned as a couples therapist is that love is not enough. And again, this sounds a little cliche. I think everyone has heard this. Obviously, love is not enough to make a partnership last um, or to make for a very happy relationship. But I think relationships require constant work and they require constant maintenance. It's like when we start going to the gym and if your goal is to lose 20 pounds, you go to the gym, you lose 20 pounds. You don't ever stop going to the gym. You do need to keep going to maintain that progress. And relationships are very similar. Once you have something good, you've achieved something great, some great level of connection and comfort in your relationship, there needs to be constant work and maintenance to maintain that connection. A lot of that work and maintenance is composed of things that I've talked about, you know, like being able to resolve conflict early, um, knowing of your attachment patterns and your attachment styles, being self-aware, not taking your partner for granted. But I think something that is even more important than those things is having respect for one another. Love fuels the initial connection, but we shouldn't rely on it to maintain that connection. So the ability to be able to respect your partner, to empathize with your partner, and unfortunately, a lot of couples come to therapy after several years of being together, several months of being together, and they're in this place where they got together because they loved each other, they made each other really happy, but over the years, they haven't maintained that love, they haven't maintained that respect for one another, and so everything has come crumbling down, so to speak. I really help my couples in these situations to be able to reconnect by identifying, you know, what helped you love the person in the first place how has that changed and what can we do to get that back a lot of the times what comes up for couples is the ability to have their needs met by their partner to feel heard to feel valued to feel affirmed to feel acknowledged in relationships these are the things that continue to maintain the love that continue to maintain respect and that balance these six lessons aren't the easiest to practice, but again, with some guidance in couples therapy or just genuine self-awareness and self-interest, these are things that you can practice in your relationship to make sure that you're maintaining the love, you're maintaining the connection and the respect for one another. So those are my six lessons or six biggest lessons that I've learned as a couples therapist. And I hope this was helpful for you and that you were able to take something away from this, take something new away from this. And really, I hope this helped generate some self-awareness when it comes to your own relationships and romantic relationships in your life. I would love to hear from you about your thoughts on any of these lessons, how you practice them, or what's keeping you from practicing these things. You can get back to me with a voice note if you're listening on Anchor, or you can rate and review this podcast, leave your questions there. You can also find us on social media, email us your questions, your comments, your thoughts, 
all of the information is going to be in the show notes down below. Thank you for listening, everyone. This was a lot of fun to film this entire month talking about love, relationships, connection, and starting March, starting next week, we're going to be back with some more content. So we'll see you next Wednesday. Take care. That brings us to the end of today's episode of Ask a Therapist. Thank you so much for spending time with us. If you like this episode, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast and leave a review down below. If you have any questions you'd like us to answer, please send us an email. The address is in the description box below and include podcast in the subject line. You can choose to remain anonymous. Thanks, everyone.